Well, if you have your Bible with you this evening, please turn with me to Psalm 10. Psalm 10, as we wrap up the second half of this psalm this evening. We'll begin at verse 11. Verse 11. Hear now the holy word of God, which is written for you and for me today. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, You will not require an account. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Join me in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we have just heard your word in these verses, we pray for your Spirit's work to enlighten our hearts, to understand the word, to believe the word, and to walk according to your most holy word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, When God's people feel alone in the midst of life, in the midst of trials, and the attacking pressures of the world, it can be both challenging and discouraging. Depression is a real thing for Christians. Discouragement can be especially true when we feel alienated from God when we feel like he has withdrawn and has hidden himself from us when we need him the most. However, as we're reminded time and again in Scripture, our feelings are fickle and can often need to be educated by the truth. It's true that believers can go through times and seasons where, as our confession teaches us, God will leave us to manifold temptations and the corruptions of our own hearts. And why? To chastise us for our former sins or to discover unto us the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of our hearts that we may be humbled. And all of this, beloved, is to make us more dependent on him and watchful against sin. And this being true... We must educate our feelings with his track record that he never has forsaken those who seek him along with his promise that he never will. 
David needed a healthy dose of such medicine, of such education, as his discouragement was speaking volumes in his mind and brought him to complain to God. David desperately wanted to know the presence of God afresh, considering the rise of the wicked in their devilish pride. For their pride was clearly seen in action through persecution and oppression of the poor, of God's people. And in fact, David has painted such a vivid picture of this and of the wicked, hasn't he? The selfish, boastful heart from which flows greed and blasphemy He has made so clear, as well as the self-seeking pride that is void of God and any desire to pursue him. The prosperity of the wicked was very discouraging for David to see. We've seen that in this psalm. And it can be for us, too. Why, O Lord, is the great question. Why, O Lord, do wicked prosper while your people suffer? Indeed, we know that it's all for the display of his justice to show forth the beauty of his redemption of us and all for his glory. But also we are pointed to our call to suffer in this life coupled with the life and walk of Jesus, the suffering servant. Jesus knew severe persecution. He knew widespread adversity well. Christ knew the lying lips of the adversary, along with his lurking crouch, as he sought to devour Jesus many times through his minions, and yet he failed in every attempt, in every respect. And so having painted the picture of the wicked, David goes on here in our text to reveal their their blindness and their blind view of God in verse 11. We're also going to consider David's call to God that he wouldn't forget the humble in verses 12 through 15. And finally, his praise of the eternal king in verses 16 through 18. And so what does David show us in this continued picture of the wicked and their hearts in verse 11? David says, he has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. Beloved, in his prideful heart, know the blasphemies that swirl around in his thoughts and see that they are really threefold. First, it attacks and and the wicked attacks God's omniscience and providence as if God was blind and didn't know or couldn't see the actions of what was going on with the persecution and the oppression of the poor, and as if he neglected their prayers. But the second attacks God's holiness and righteousness, as if God saw, but he was willing to hide his face, he was willing to turn a blind eye, ignoring the suffering, ignoring the wicked in their work. And the third attacks God's sovereignty and justice, as if God saw, but he wouldn't bring justice to bear. 
He wouldn't reckon with the wicked and punish them for their sins. Notice the similarity in the the whims of the wicked and the words of David in his opening complaint. Though for the opposite reason, both are concerned with God being hidden in their perception. David, because he desired divine aid, and the wicked, because they didn't. They would have liked nothing more than if God stayed away. And if God stayed the way that they perceived him, and for them to remain at ease in what they enjoyed. David wasn't the only one who had this kind of spiritual battle. Asaph shared the same as we see in Psalm 73, verses 11 through 17. Beginning in verse 11, we read, And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence, for all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. And notice his words in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. With the Lord, we find clarity. With the Lord we find the light that not only exposes the sin of our own hearts and in our own lives, but really shows the wicked for who and what they really are. Eliphaz attacked Job's complaint that God was absent in Job chapter 22, beginning in verse 12. He begins with some questions. Is not God in the height of heaven? And see the highest stars, how lofty they are. And you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds cover him so that he cannot see, and he walks above the circle of heaven. And so there is great question. Does God see? Does God know? The wicked would say, no, he doesn't. He doesn't see. He doesn't know. Has he and will he act? Yes to all these questions. Yes, he sees. Yes, he knows. And yes, he he has acted and will. Beloved, God will never forget in time what he has known for all eternity. That's something that we need to remember tonight. For that's oftentimes the challenge that is pressed in our thoughts. But he will never forget in time what he has known for all eternity. God always sees you. He knows what you think. 
He knows your thoughts before you even think them. He notices everything. Nothing escapes him. Nothing gets past his all-seeing eye. Nothing is allowed to slip through undealt with in his court. And this being true, and David knowing this, he then made further pleas to the Lord. Notice in verse 12. He says, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Beloved, these words are the cry of the church. They should stir us up to hope for God's help and for His grace. This verse teaches us that the more the ungodly harden themselves and try to persuade themselves that God isn't concerned about sin and won't judge sinners, the more we should be moved to believe the opposite. David's plea here is similar to his words in Psalm 3.7 as well as Psalm 9.10. If you recall in Psalm 3 verse 7, he again makes the plea that the Lord would arise. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. And again in Psalm 9, verse 19, Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Does God know? Yes. And from his knowledge, he judges righteously. Does God see? Yes. And all will be judged in his sight. David desired that as God thought about the humble afflicted, he would rise up and fight for them. Know that the hand of God in Scripture is otherwise referred to as his right hand. And the right hand, and it being lifted up, symbolizes God's great power and might. In Psalm 17, 7, we see this. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Such a glorious verse. The loving kindness of God displayed in his power displayed in his might as he acts as the valiant warrior, the valiant warrior king who saves those who trust in him from those who rise up against them. Micah 5.9 Your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries and all your enemies shall be cut off. Not one would survive the lifting of the hand of God. Not one would avoid being cut off. And so David here says, in essence, rise up, O Lord, and confound your enemies who say that you hide and you don't see. Show your power, O God, and deal a fatal blow to the oppressors. And please do so for this reason, he says, as he goes on in verse 13. Why do the, the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. 
Again, the wicked don't believe God is able, interested, or involved. And therefore, they can do what they want. They have free license. They can turn their back on him and treat God with contempt. They can sneer and they can scoff at him. They think that they are safe in being fearless. If there's no law and there's no judge that enforces his holy law to keep them accountable, they won't have to give an account. But yet, what do we hear in Matthew 25? Beginning in verse 31. What do we hear about Christ, about the Son of Man? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And then we pick up in verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, that is, to the goats, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And so we see that they believe that they wouldn't be held to account, but the opposite is true. And as David goes on to explain this, see that he does so by speaking to what God does and what the poor and helpless do in response and relation to him. Look at 14a. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. God sees, and God judges, and God repays evil with his decisive and almighty power. Here is the evidence that the humble aren't truly forgotten. What has been sinfully taken and damaged and destroyed by the hands of wicked men is repaid by the perfect divine justice of the hand of God. And what do the helpless do? We've heard God's action, but what does the helpless do in the second half of 14? The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Beloved, those who are without strength, which on one level speaks to all of God's people, commit their trust to the Lord. The Almighty God, the, the living God, the, the eternal judge, he brings his heavy hand of power and might and defeat against the wicked but he is the helper to the helpless and the fatherless. We bring our concerns to him in prayer, and we submit to his wisdom and will. For we know that he is the helper to those who are without help. The helpless and the fatherless knew that he is not only their helper, but he is their helper because they are without kin to provide for them and without a father to protect them. 
but the Lord is there for them. The Lord does these things for them. And therefore, as God lifted his hand in power, David prayed that he would do what in verse 15? Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Break it. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. Man, that is an exhaustive statement. Complete. Total. See that David wanted God to break the instrument that the evil men used to carry out their wickedness and sin. Even metaphorically, break their arm. Break their strength. Break what they use in their power and bring them to nothing. You know, this has wonderfully been accomplished ultimately by Christ. He has broken the power of sin and the devil. And he did so on the cross. But further, David desired that God would be so thorough in all his justice that all wickedness would be eradicated, notice. It would be completely gone. The God who sees, and the God who sees all, that he would indeed seek out the wickedness until he found none, and all the arms were broken. And indeed, praise the Lord that the Lord Jesus Christ will rid the world of the presence of sin on that last day. The hope that God would do so is found and built up in the permanence of his reign, in the permanence of his kingship, and the thoroughness of his victory. See that in verse 16. David extends and lifts up praise. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. It is the office and duty of a king, beloved, to carry out justice for the restraint and terror of evildoers and the protection and praise of those who do well in his kingdom. Jesus, our great God, does not look favorably upon evil in his land, in his kingdom. And it was true in David's day that the remainder of the Canaanites, which had long been as thorns in the side of Israel, were then at length utterly rooted out and purged out of the land. That was true in a very practical sense here. And indeed, Jesus is the eternal king who sits on his throne forever. And as David speaks of the Lord as being this eternal king, undoubtedly he is pointing us to Christ. He is pointing us to King Jesus, and indeed the wicked nations will perish. In verses 17 and 18, David says, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. Notice that. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. Beloved, God teaches us about prayer here. Notice that our Lord hears, 
and he prepares hearts. He hears and he prepares hearts. He hears our petitions and he prepares our hearts to receive the answers to our petitions, to trust him, to walk faithfully with him, and to be patient as he carries out his will. He prepares the hearts of us as people, and then he gives us an answer of peace. God hears in order to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. He hears and acts that the wicked would oppress no more. Here is the great God who has all power and all wisdom and all might who comes to the aid of his people. And he brings decisive action against his enemies. And so I'll leave you with this. Though the wicked make the claim that God is blind, that he is uninterested and unresponsive to the sin and the affairs of men on this earth, see David's testimony here. See his testimony. And truly, it is the testimony of the Lord that the opposite is true. God knows all, he sees all, and he will bring perfect justice to bear on the heads of his enemies. And therefore, the prayer and the hope of the church is that God will rise on behalf of his people. We agree with David. We plead with the Lord like David did. Arise, O God. The church's prayer is that his kingdom come and that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so be comforted and and stirred up by the person and the work and the victory of Christ as he is the eternal king who has and will execute his righteous justice against the oppressors and for the fatherless and the oppressed. And may we all continue to pray for the persecuted church even as we wait for his coming. And we pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who are all undergoing various trials and suffering and persecutions at the hands of evil men, all looking forward to and awaiting together his glorious return. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, you are awesome and immense and glorious. And as you are the eternal and infinite one, we come before you in awe and worship and in praise. We come before you praising you, that you know, you see, and you act. We, we come before you praising you, that the world's lies are just that, and they do not stand in the light of your glorious truth. We thank you, O God, that you not only rise up and defend us, and you will do so ultimately in that day, but we also thank you and praise you that you are the one who is sustaining us, that you are the one who is at work in and through us, that we would stand 
in the midst of the on, on the of the in the midst of the onslaught and give you glory as we do so that we would press forward together as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray these things in Christ's name amen